Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Good morning and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am here with Matt. Hi, Pete. No Ash today. No Ash. It's not about no and no Alfred. He's no not Alfred. about. It's just me and you. Crushing. No Curtis. No Curtis either. No Curtis. It was good to have him on last week. I'm gonna, gonna miss him, but I think that we've got a lot of issues to go uh, go for this week. Me and you have been having a little bit of a, a disagreement about where we think Arsenal are going. Took it to Twitter. Everyone was agreeing with you. Fuck you. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of topics to get through. But first of all, I just wanted to touch on a few points that I thought were um, interesting. I don't like all of them, but I thought they were worth highlighting. Jack Wilshire out for six weeks, ankle injury. What a shocker. Did not see that coming, did we? Did not see that coming. Uh, yeah, so uh, get well soon, Jack. But that's what, yeah. That's what you're missing. That's what you're missing. That would have been him for us. Every wry smile on the lips of Unai Emery. Yes, the dark bastard. How dare he? Uh, secondly, Spurs are not looking good. Like I read a Rod, a Rod Little, uh, the, the old racist for Rod Little, um, write about them in the Times at the weekend. I tell you, it's carnage. Still He's, above us in the league, aren't they? Uh, yeah, but at least we're on. Uh, at least we're on joint points now. Yeah, uh, it was it was funny reading, you know, saying that Harry Kane needs to be dropped. The squad isn't working hard. Um, Rumours of uh, of turmoil at the club. Isn't it amazing if you don't if you don't add players to a squad? Doesn't matter how good your season was, the the one prior it doesn't bode well. I think it's. Um, I mean, I know that Arsenal added one player uh, before the Invincible season. But, um, you know, one of our biggest kicks was when we signed seven players. Most of them didn't play. But it gives the squad a, uh, an injection of, of freshness. It makes everyone feel comfortable. It makes people feel that you're moving in the right direction. And, and Spurs didn't do that this summer. And I wonder if that's playing on, a, on, on the players' minds. What well, do you think? I think it's, it's hit them in a, in a number of places. One, you've got... Uh, they've come back from the World Cup and they're tired and they're disappointed, probably, is one piece. The second piece is... They haven't got any players to pick up the slack um, without, without any signings. Um, the third piece is that the stadium isn't ready, so that was going to give them a boost, but they're not there. So it's been a very little good news there, and maybe they thought they were going to get away with it after a couple of early season results. But the thing that really strikes me is just how unforgiving the Premier League is. It is brutal. brutal. Yeah. And... Um, if, you, if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. 
And I think that's what's happening with Spurs at the moment. And for all that we have done at Arsenal to move forward, so is everyone else. So it's going to be interesting. But long may it continue that uh, Spurs do not live up to um, the early season hype. Yeah, and before we move on from the Spurs uh, topic, Hugo Lloris, drink driving, twice the legal limit. The police opened the door and he was covered in vomit. We're try, trying to work this out with uh, with, with someone a, a little bit earlier on the messenger. Like, what is two times the limit? Like, is that is that two beers? Is it four? I mean, it's not. It's, it's not, not much. I think it's, it's about. Th- it's only about three pints. I think three pints, and he was caught driving fifteen miles an hour down the road. And then when they opened the door, he was covered in his own vomit. What a lightweight! What yeah. a lightweight! Pathetic. Yes. If, you, if you're going to get bold, if you're going to get caught, you know. Yeah. Because Tony, Tony Adams used to have a case of champagne in the boot at all times. <laughs> yeah, good lad. I did, uh, I did read that four times the limit means that you're in the danger of, of alcohol poisoning. So maybe, maybe it's not as clear-cut as two pints. But anyway, um, the third point, Can Arsenal... Did, while sorry. we're still talking Tottenham, and I yeah. know this is an Arsenal podcast, I stumbled across a post of two people who got married at at uh, the new Tottenham Stadium. Can, can you imagine getting getting married at a stadium that isn't even finished? It's a building site. It'd be a bit embarrassing. I wonder how far in advance they plan that. There is that, yeah. But you'd have, you'd have thought he'd go, you know what, let's, let's push this back until we're not standing on a pile of rubble. Yeah, uh, you, maybe Pochettino was aware that there wasn't enough good news around the club. He wanted, maybe he set that up. It was a bit of a bit of a boost for the players. Yeah. Uh, okay. Work. All right. Well, let's let's stop talking about Spurs. As entertaining as it is, let's get straight into the mixer and let's talk about Arsenal. That's our third game in the bounce. We beat Newcastle away from home. That second away win in a row. The first since 2017. Uh, everything's rosy. Three wins in a row. We're we're like what was it? Eight games that we've got to win. I on, wanted to see us to win eight out of eight, or at least seven wins in a draw out of eight games before we went to Liverpool on, I believe, the fifth of November, and we are nearly fifty percent of the way there. So, pretty pleased. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle won a particularly great side, massively underfunded. Um, their their starting eleven really, really did look. Very smelly, uh, but they they caused us some problems in the first half. And once again, uh, we're looking down. We're looking at another starting eleven that Emery has has got wrong that he had to rectify at half time. But before we talk about the changes and, and what came in the second half, like what did you make of the of the first half? What went wrong? Turgid, turgid, um, as have most of the games I've seen in the Premier League this season been really. Um, with the exception of Liverpool and and City and maybe maybe Chelsea are beginning to hit their stride, but it, you know it was it was slow, passive, um, and I know what you've been saying about what is this what what is the style of play and how are we trying to enforce it? And certainly in the first half, there was very little sense of any style of play, um, but you know we did enough. We did do enough. Um, I couldn't really work out what was going on in the first half. I, I, t- I tell you one element that I, I am starting to worry about. Like we've massively overhyped Gwendozi. Yeah, I, I think he. I think he looks like a rabbit caught in headlights. I think he's very. I mean, he's obviously very young, but he didn't have a very good first half, and it, it doesn't look like he partners very well with Jacker. They don't seem to have the the authority to stamp on the game. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think there was ever any chance that Guendouzi was going to play every game and get 9 out of 10 and get more touches on the ball than anyone in the Premier League all season. I think it's actually not a bad thing that we temper our expectations of him now. I think he's going to be a really useful player. I think he's going to grow this season. I think he's going to be a stalwart of the team in years to come based on what we've seen. But I think let's temper it. He's 19 years old. He's not going to be consistent all the time. He's always going to be, I think he's going to be better at home for a while. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he certainly wasn't impressive. And, you know, 
we'll come on to it, but the clamour for Torreira to start is... We're reaching peak Torreira now because he's clearly um, got something about him that enables the whole team to play better. And I think we're really at the point now where he's, he's got to start every game. Um, before we get on to the half-time changes, Czech is just not handling... Actually, do you know what? Let's, he's handling let's not, fine. No, let's, yeah, let, he's handling his great. Uh, he's looked a much better goalkeeper this season. I think if you if you isolated and chalked out some of the, the the mistakes, like maybe one or two that he makes at the back every game, generally he's he's kicking isn't. It, it's not that bad. I mean, he makes a lot of touches um, a game. He makes some good passes, but the mistakes when they come, they're howlers, aren't they? I mean, he he passed he passed out for a corner again. He really doesn't look comfortable on the ball, and I do worry whether that that opening ten minutes of like frantic like passing out of the back, whether it just sets the tone for the first half and we really struggle to recover. I don't know what you think about about. Well, that. I'm more worried about Leno because if passing out of the back is such a big thing, and we brought a goalkeeper to do it, but. He mean he must be real dog shit in training if he's not getting any look in, mustn't he? Yeah, I know, I know. How bad? How bad can he be? Or the the Emery has a plan for the start of the season where he doesn't want to rock the boat with a starting eleven too much. Doesn't want to upset like experienced figures in the dressing room. And it's just like, look, you have to wait until Christmas before you're going to take over the number one jersey, and you have to prove yourself in Europe. Like it has to look more organic than I came in and said, Peter Cech wasn't good enough for the starting eleven. Yeah, it's still very much a Wenger team, isn't it? I mean, of the summer signings, Socrates has, has come in and I think he's actually growing into growing into his performances, but he know, made some strong tackles. Yeah. So he's I think he's adapting to the Premier League pretty well. I've been quite impressed. He seems to get he, I think the good thing about him is he's got better every game. You've got Gwenduzi who is, you know, floating in and out. Brilliant one day bit average the next but clearly has bagfuls of potential uh Torreira can't get in the team uh or not can't get in, I mean he's he's not playing in the team I think he can definitely get in the team um so we're yet to see this team really take on Emery's imprint are we we're still dealing with uh with Wenger's, Wenger's boys so half time came Emery makes his almost traditional halftime changes. He took Gwendozi off, brought Torreira on, and then we just, we lit up. We blossomed. We? Yeah, we did. We we, we blossomed. And I, I couldn't work out whether Newcastle just didn't come out for the second half or Torreira really was that impactful. Or maybe maybe the team talk at halftime was really impressive. But it, things certainly changed. Like We dominated possession. Um, Meza Ozil came into the game a little bit more. Um, our, our forward, our front three looked a lot more energised. Like, do you think that was Torreira or do you just think it think was it's a turn a, of fortune? I think it's a bit of Torreira, but I also think as fans, we expect everyone to start the game, play brilliantly, win 4-0. The reality is it's really, and we were talking about in the, just in the Premier League earlier in respect to Tottenham, how hard and demanding a league it is. And if it's demanding as a league, the most demanding part of it is when you go away from home. And I think that the first thing you've got to do when you go away from home is not concede stupid goals. So if you can get to half-time, have sussed out the opposition a bit, kept a clean sheet, understood what it's going to take to win the game. I mean, title-winning teams, how many times do you see a title-winning team be nil-nil, at the break away from home and then win the game 2-0 with goals in the second half. Or, you know, it, it, it's just a classic way. So I think we used, we, 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 we checked out what was going on, sussed them out, walked away with a, with a straightforward win. We did. So a few other elements from the game that I, f- that I found interesting. And I know that everybody's got a, an understanding of what's going on like with these areas. But like uh, Aubameyang out on, on the wing. Lacazette through the middle, um, but like going on players playing out of position. Ramsey playing at number 10. Ozil as a right midfielder, but really as a right centre, centre midfielder, especially in the in the second half. Like what's going on with Emery and these odd selections? I mean, we, we lambasted Wenger 
for trying to get players to adapt to positions that weren't natural to them. And Emery's out there making Petacek play like a centre-back. He's got our best striker playing out wide. He's got Ramsey, who really is like either a centre midfielder or somebody that can play in a double pivot. And then you've got Ozil, one of the best number 10s in the league, playing in right midfield and looking very muted. Like, is Emery making it hard on himself with the selection, like, is he trying to make the players bend to a system that's going to be difficult? I didn't really know much about him as a manager before we signed him to be our coach, but I was expecting him to be a little more adventurous because we've he has been very, very conservative so far. I think, you know, I was expecting him to take one or two of the younger players who he's seen in training. One of maybe a Reese Nelson, a Willock, uh, and maybe Maitland-Niles would have been that guy if he hadn't got injured. But one of those, and, and maybe put them in the team to start with and energise the fan base and spot some potential in, in, in someone that could that could come in. I expected more rotation in terms of starting lineup, And we saw that maybe at the beginning, but now he's sort of playing the same team every week. Um, so it's, it's, it's more conservative, it's less fluid than I thought. Um, But I think he's probably got the same idea that we have, which is let's try and play into some form. And he's looked at the fixtures. We lost the first two. So that's that's a lot of pressure for a new coach of a big club to lose your first two. So what what he's really needed to do is to use the experience, use the big names. And hopefully, my hope is that over the next five games, we're going to find... A bit of form, a formula that works. I think it's going to change a bit from where we are. I mean, I'd love to see, I'd love to see some some different names in the fold just to see what, just to see what someone could do if they were given the chance. Because I don't think anyone is really performing particularly well at the moment. So you'd you'd like to think. I mean, I was thinking about it today. I was thinking, I mean, this is how desperate I've got. Danny Welbeck. Yeah. I mean. It's not like anyone else is scoring goals up front. You know, why not give him a little run up, up top? He works his ass off. Uh, he's great away from home, closes people down, hungry to, 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 uh, to support, to show the new manager what he can do. I'm surprised that he hasn't even got... He's, got, he's had nothing this season, really. No, no. Uh, I mean, he looked terrible for England. He didn't, <laughs> didn't. He looked, looked, looked really bad. Am I just desperate? I, I think you are. But I, I am with you a little bit. I, w- I was hoping that Emery might come in and he was like, I know that everyone thinks that Aaron Ramsey should be playing in uh, centre midfield, but actually I see him as a striker. You know, like Wenger used to pull those little, those little rabbits out of the hat and you're like, oh my God, who, who would have thought that could work? And he's, he's actually not tried anything interesting. And I, I, I don't understand... Um, I, I do understand why he's playing Aubameyang out wide and why he's trying to make Ramsey into a number 10 and Ozil out wide right. Because he's trying to make his system work with the best possible players. But again, we had this conversation the other week. Like uh, I, He's got to make some tough decisions, but he's not really making those difficult decisions. He's doing exactly what Wenger used to do. Put your best 11 out, or who you perceive to be the best 11 out, and just hope that it works. Um, I was kind of hoping that he would be a little bit more aggressive. And the reality of the squad that Mislintat has pulled together is that it's it's very, very unbalanced. Like he, He's not given... Mislintat hasn't really pulled it together, though, has he? He's only been around for a year. And he's bought Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, Socrates... Uh, like he, He's bought a team of players. It's just we've, we're just being hamstrung slightly by a lot of the Wenger players. I feel like two transfer windows is enough to at least get a team that feels like balanced in some way. And then we also have the, the challenge with Ramsey. Everybody's pointing to his form being down to the fact that he hasn't signed a new deal. I think his form is down to the fact that he's finally being told to play a certain position, which isn't Rory of the Rovers, do what the fuck you want. And he's struggling. Like he, he, he's, not really a, he's not really a number 10. And it, it, does, it does show you 
how good Ozil is moving forward when you see Ramsey trying to do the things that he can do. And it's just, you know, you see Ozil sitting out wide and you're like, oh, like he feels such a waste out there. Doesn't look the player that he does for Germany, that's for sure. I mean, I guess he doesn't have that many world-class internationals around him, but it doesn't feel, it, it like feels very clunky at the moment. Yeah, I think something's going to give. I think either we're going to, you know, I think if we, we've got Everton next weekend, I think, uh, and I think if we go and beat Everton 4-0 at home, then suddenly we're going to see a different team. We're going to see confidence. I think so much, so many of our problems are down to confidence. And I think if we can, um, if we can get the confidence going, then, um, then we can really start ramping up this season. I mean, the other thing I'll say, again, maybe I'm clutching at straws. Maybe it's going to be better to build into a season rather than do what we've often done, which is like actually have a really good first half of the season, get to November and completely capitulate and then pick it up at the end. So maybe this idea of, you know, like finding some form, finding our feet, putting some wins together. And then, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm well, that was classic Alex Ferguson. He always used to rest his players at the front half of the season so they'd be explosive in the back half. But my, my thing with... Emery is he's not resting key players he's just playing the same 11 and having to change it at half time every time I would have thought he'd be a bit more experimental in the opening games and also trying to get some energy into the players legs make people feel wanted yeah but I, I guess he's got now he's got Brentford in the League Cup he's got um it's a, Europa, a, on he's got Europa in Thursday where we've got to go to Ukraine so you imagine there's going to be plenty of time to um, bring additional names into the squad um, and then finally, before we go, we can't leave uh, this section without praising the mighty Granite Jacker. What a free kick. What a free kick. Yeah. I always liked that guy. Yeah, I did too. I did too. He's, uh, he's massively underestimated. So well done, Granite. Okay, in the next section, we're going to discuss the merits of Unai Emery. And we are back. We're here to discuss a hot topic and that is how successful we think um, Unai Emery has been in the opening games. Many people say that you cannot judge a manager after five games. But as I always say, if we weren't judging him after each game, I'd have nothing to do every single morning writing about the coach. And I'm not going to play into the judge me in May. Like this is a, a football manager. Some managers get fired after 10 games. So he'd be at the halfway point if he was having a disaster of a season. So I thought we'd take the time out to discuss uh, um, at five games um, what we think about the progress that he's made so far. Well, four games. Four games, yeah. I mean, I think we gave him a rating maybe last week. I think I gave him a, a, a B or a B minus or something. I can't even remember. Um, and I think, you know, the same stands true, I think. Um, the good thing is he's he's new. <laughs> and that sounds like a terrible terrible thing to say and makes it sound like I've got really low expectations but the good news is I hope that he's actually going to make the team better every week with Arsene Wenger we knew towards the end that we were basically in free fall and every week we were getting worse and worse and worse and worse and every season we were getting worse and my hope is that as he instills his philosophy the players are going to get better so that's one good thing the second good thing is the players seem to be receptive to him and his ideas in the sense of it doesn't it feels like everyone is pulling in the same direction that's the sense i get from at the club it doesn't feel like there are uh, everyone's miserable everyone's saying the new coach is an asshole it feels like he is he's found that line between being new and instilling new ideas but without just completely wrecking ball the whole place see whilst I'd say that he's obviously like players don't look miserable and nobody's leaking stuff to the papers I I struggle to see how the ideas are seeping into the players from everything that I've seen so far um, despite howls of disapproval like online like there there isn't much of an identity being formed at the moment and I know that people will say that you know Wenger was a an, an awful manager and I was I was there like banging the drum for his dismissal for years but he, he certainly had a style of football about him I know it degraded in the years gone past but it's not like it's not like Emery's taking over from like five years of Sam Allardyce over here and you would think that after like years of players just being asked to express themselves that there would be a, 
a little bit more of a sneak peek into what he's trying to achieve. Like everything that I was watching in the Newcastle game and actually some of the games before is it's it's like a it's like we slow the play down. Like we try and draw players out, we create space. Uh, we cycle the ball around, like our transitions are really clunky and then it doesn't quite work out and then we recycle the ball back again and it, like, it, it feels like a very slow, methodical game that we're playing. It's not quite the, the high-impact um, pet ball where he's trying to get the ball as, like, quickly up the pitch and as directly uh, uh, as possible. It just, I, don't, I don't see how that slower uh, approach to the Premier League is, is going to work. I don't think... It, I think everyone looks back on the past with slightly rose-tinted glasses. And, you know, you look at the, uh, the Invincibles here. We drew 12 games. You know, we won 26, we drew 12. 12 games were one-all draws, nil-nils. You know, they were, they were not free-flowing football every game. But we look back and we just go, oh, that, every game was heroic. Uh, and I think... You know, we do need to look back, have it, see how the whole season pans out, and see what happens. But I've I've seen enough in small pieces to think that we can have an okay season. You know, I think some of our attacking play at Chelsea was really really strong. Um, I've seen some interplay that I've liked. For going forward, I've I've quite enjoyed watching us play. The back has been a fucking nightmare, but. I sort of hope that that's because we are trying to change our style of play at the back. So at least we're seeing something there. Uh, but what is that's the thing? What does that? What does that look like? I hear people keep on as people criticizing me for saying that I expect more of Emery. I'm like, what, but what are you? What are you seeing that's formulating that excites you Out, outside playing out the back? Like, what are we seeing defensively that looks and feels um, different? No, defensively, I'm not seeing anything. You, yeah. But I'm sort of hoping that Torreira is going to add something. I like the idea. What I've seen of Guendouzi in terms of dropping deep, always on the ball, almost like a quarterback, someone who can probe, like that's something that I definitely want to see in an Arsenal team moving forward that we've been missing because he adds a bit of unpredictability and a bit of dynamism into the middle. Um, Up front, I think... I mean, one of the things I liked about the Chelsea game was the way that we identified a weakness down the right-hand side and then kept on going after it to exploiting it. It was a very un-Arsenal type approach. You know, I remember Alex Ferguson always targeting specific players and Chelsea targeting specific players and ways of playing when he spotted a weakness. And Arsenal, somehow, it would almost be unsportsmanlike to, uh, to go after a weakness. So there were some pieces there. Look, I'm not, I'm not kidding myself. It hasn't been a laugh a minute. Um, But I feel like after we lost our first two games, the first thing that was most important was to regain some confidence and get back on track. And I think that's what we're doing. And I think if we get one more win, then we can go, okay, we've got four wins on the bounce. When was the last time we got four wins on the bounce in the Premier League? I mean, not for three years, probably three years. And that's when we're one game away from doing that. And if you get four, then go for five. And... um, and I think, and it was the point I made on Twitter, which is confidence is an incredible thing. And once you get a few wins on the board, we will see a different Arsenal team. And I think Emery knows that. Success has many fathers. And I think the more we can grind out positive results, the more we'll see the team blossom. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll be in a good place. But... The next game's a winner, boy. It sounds like I'm a broken record, but I just wanna I just wanna win these eight games and then and then see where the season can take us. I think the Everton game is gonna be very interesting because they're not quite they're not quite top tier elite, but they're definitely in the top seven teams in the Premier League. They've got a manager who I would say is I don't know. I I, I know that he's he's won a few Europa Leagues, but I would say that Silva and Emery like feel about the same level. No, no. I, I, well, I, where, so would you put Emery above? Pete, you'd have been, you'd have been burning, you'd have been burnt, setting fire to things if we'd hired Silver as manager. Yeah, no, but I didn't want to sign. This is the thing. I didn't want to sign Emery either. Yeah, like, but, I wanted, but, but, I wanted to set fire to things when we signed no, Emery. You were fine it was a, it. it was, it was a gutless signing. It was, it was the blandest of the bland. It was super, super yeah, safe. Silver, you'd have been hopping mad. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I definitely wasn't banging the drum for silver, but you would say, but out of <laughs> out out of the top six 
out of the top seven clubs, where would you put Emery? You wouldn't put him above Klopp, no. Mourinho, Pochettino. Well, Mourinho, I think, is finished, but... Or, or Sarri. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put no. him above any of those. No. Um, so, anyway, like, putting that aside, like, Emery, will, Emery will do an okay job this season. I think it's going to be tough to, to make the top four. But I just wonder whether we're, like, we've gone from, oh, we could maybe make top four this season under Arsene Wenger. I feel like there's a, 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 an air of just accepting that this season's probably going to be totally shy. And if we don't qualify for the top four this season, it's fine because Wenger's been so bad for 10 years. Yeah, I it's think like, Emery will be under real pressure. I think, yeah, I think, I think um, he's got to do one of two things. He's either got to imprint a very, very visible style on Arsenal um, or he's got to get top four. He's got to he's got to do one of the two. Because remember, Klopp didn't get Champions League in his first season, did he? I think he did. Did he not? Oh no, he, no, he came in half. He came in after half a season, though, yeah. didn't he? he so I don't, like I, don't, I don't think he did. Um, you know, Klopp was looking vulnerable at one point, and then yeah, about December. Yeah, and then you know, but that's how like charisma will carry you over the line. Yeah, but but the, the, here's here's the reason. Here's the reason that Klopp would always stay in a job. You know where the peak is. You know what you know what peak Klopp looks like, and it's fucking amazing. You know what peak Pep looks like. We've seen what Pochettino can do um, to make like okay players incredible. Like, what does what's what does peak Emery look like? The guy tanked a one horse race for PSG. Now, I'm not saying that he couldn't get us into the top four. I'm not saying that he couldn't win us a Europa League. But like. The, I feel like the ceiling is lower, you know. Like I, I, I that's that's. I, I yeah, I think I think I think you look. I think you're right, and I think the other thing that is the thing that's really holding us back is transfers, because we've been starved for years. Like I mean, we are like we're like a we're just it's just been it's just been horrible for so long, and then finally we've seen a bit of action and we're quite excited. But when you look at yeah, we we were joking about Chelsea having a disastrous transfer window, but they've still had a better window than us in terms of the players they've signed. They've signed they've signed better players than us, uh, and I think it's it, it's that. And then Liverpool have obviously absolutely smashed it. Uh, Manchester City have done well. United have done all right. You know, it's but you it, know, it's it's, it's our, we haven't got we haven't got good enough players. I think. Liverpool, the difference between Liverpool and Arsenal's transfer strategy, I think, is that Arsenal's transfer strategy this window appeared to be like build for top four, whereas I feel like Liverpool's transfer strategy has been build to a style of play. And then because we believe in that style of play, like we'll climb the table. And I just wonder whether we've punted on some slightly average talents or talents that just aren't quite suited for the moment. It's true. It's true. Um, okay, cool. All right. So um, uh, overall, like, everybody's pleased with Emery, uh, like in the sense that he's won a, a few games on the bounce. Let's see where the, ne- the next batch go. But I guess we've got to stick it out because that's just the, the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> So we're heading into the final section of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I'm here with Matt, and we are going to talk CEOs, corporate structures, and nepotism. So let's first um, tackle the subject. It does appear that our great leader, Ivan Gazidis, is going to make the move to AC Milan. Um, The press reports um, in Italy are saying that he's close to tying up a deal with the Elliott Group. Um, I don't know whether he's going to get the same base pay that he's been getting at Arsenal. Less, they're saying. Aren't they? Yeah, they're saying he's going to get less, but he gets a stake in the club. Yeah. So um, the I think the Elliott Group bought um, they bought a stake in Milan, or they lent Milan's last owner money, and then he defaulted, and then they've bought the club on the cheap. So I think it's they, they want to raise the value of the club over the next few years. He's got a massive, massive job on his hands because um, Milan are not in good shape. Uh, as we know, because we beat them last season. But um, firstly, what do we think about Ivan Gazidis jumping ship after 10 years? He finally gets the opportunity for control and then he ducks out to go to Milan. What do we think? (laughs) It's fucking bizarre, isn't it? Well, it's uh, it's classic Arsenal, really, isn't it? Um, There's two reasons why it's not good news. 
Right. Uh, the first reason it's not good news is because we all know that stability in senior management positions is important. And there's so much turmoil going on at the club in terms of uh, changing structures, changing personnel, everything at the club is changing. The one person we'd like to be consistent is the CEO and he's going. So that's not a good thing. The second reason why it's not a good thing is because if you've just instilled a master vision and then you're walking away, it doesn't exactly make us feel like he thinks the master vision is any good. It sounds more like... It's incredibly sloppy. Like, that's really, really shitty leadership. It sort right? of, well, it just sort of feels... I mean, as a CEO, you want a great story. You want to be the guy or the woman who created and enacted a turnaround story or a piece of positive change. And if your whole reputation has been around being really fucking average and then you make a load of changes and get everyone moderately excited, walking away at that point makes everyone go, maybe all that stuff that he's done, maybe he already knows that actually it wasn't the right strategy or it wasn't the right approach and he's jumping ship before he gets found out because that's often the other way is I need to tell my, get my story and, and move on before people realize I'm a fraud. So those are the two reasons why it's not good news. Um, there's one reason why it doesn't really matter. And that's because he's not a particularly good CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think anyone is going to miss Ivan Gazidis. Um, the guy, the guy hasn't, the guy hasn't got a bit of Arsenal blood in his body. He's just a corporate corporate bloke who's a pretty smart guy, business-minded, but, you know, fuck him, to be honest. He has done very, very little for the club, and he would argue with that. But everything he's done has been along the lines of market trends. He hasn't bucked any trends. Uh, and, no, Premier, pre- Premiership TV money goes up, Arsenal's money goes exactly, up. Sponsorships exactly. go up across the board, so do ours. Exactly. He is, he's Mr. Fucking Average. Um, but you know, like we said, you don't want to, you don't want people at the club to be spending, um, hours and days and months looking for a new CEO that could be spent trying to make the the, the club work better. And that's the big thing for me. It's, it's the wrong use of energy by people inside the club. Um, so yeah, I'd rather it wasn't happening as, as little as I think of Ivan Kazidis. Yeah, I, I think that my hope for years was that you know once he got given control of the club, he was going to do something like really exciting. I think that he bottled the summer. I think like firstly he signed a manager that he didn't want to sign. I think he was game for hiring Arteta. Who do you think wanted Emery? I think the the board wanted a more experienced manager, and I think Ivan bottled the decision last minute. Ironically, for self-preservation, because Ivan Gazidis has always been about preserving his own huge salary, even at the cost of looking a bit, a bit weak in front of the public. So I think that like he, he signed a manager last minute that he wasn't interested in signing. He let the manager sign all of his backroom team. So this is like Wenger Mark II. If it doesn't go well, you're going to have to get rid of a big backroom team at, at the same time. Um, I did think the signing of Sven Mistentat was I'm hoping that it was inspired. Like Torreira looks exceptional. Um, Gwendozi looks like a very exciting talent. We've got people like Mavropanos, um, Sanelli. Um, I mean, seems seems like an interesting hire. We hired the guy from Sky. What's his name? Husfami. So I think that there's um there's a good infrastructure put in place. But I, I, I agree with you. Like as uninteresting and uninspired as he's been over the last. Um, 10 years, if somebody puts in place um, a vision and a strategic view of where the club is going to go over the next five years, at least give it more than fucking one year. I mean, it feels like he's running away. Um, And also, uh, I know that this is a bit idealistic and sometimes you don't, sometimes you don't look at your football club through like the business lens that you would look at your own job. But I do wonder, like after you've been raking in 2.6 million a year for the past 10 years, you're, you're suitably well remunerated to not have to worry about things moving forward and i i do do wonder why he didn't want to make arsenal the greatest club 
in Europe? Like, why wouldn't you want to be the CEO that brought Arsenal the Champions League? Like, why wouldn't you want to be the CEO that won the first ever Premier League title in the Emirates? Like, where, like he could be part of like a very long story and he'd be the consistent thread. You know, he's the guy that saw in the Emirates Stadium. Like, he's the guy that saw off Fenger. He's the guy that took Arsenal back to the top. And then take your big payday at a club working for um, a hedge fund. Well, I mean, that's the other thing, which is, you know, Swiss Ramble did a piece on Manchester City and you look at, like, the Deloitte Power League and, you know, we're the fifth richest club in the world. Yeah. And if you're a a finance guy and a business guy, don't you want to work at the... I mean, Milan are, what, they must be like 12th or, or something. They're not I, even... They're, they're a smaller club than Arsenal. I know they've got a great history. The Italian league is... No one fucking goes. I think the uh, the French league is... So it's the, the Premier League, followed by La Liga. Then I think Ligue 1 is, um, is the third biggest. So I think Italy is fourth now. I so think, it's, it's going to, and they're, they're a long way off. Yeah, being, I mean, I think you, you know, you want to be in the Premier League unless you get a chance at Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Bayern Munich. Yeah. And apart from that, you want to be at anyone in the Premier League, pretty much. So, or, or a top, top six, top seven in the Premier League. So, people don't even go to the fucking games in Italy. Like Juve sell out, Milan. Uh, I, I, I haven't looked at attendances recently, but like one of the big reasons that they can't sell TV rights is you know, Napoli playing Sarri ball last season. Every time you switch on uh, B in Sport or whatever to watch one of their games, the stadiums are empty. They can't even fill the side where the TV's going. So it seems like a like very. Uh, it must just be for money. And if he wins the Champions League with Milan, they've won it. They've won the Champions League before. He's never going to make Milan greater than they were 10, 15 years ago. So I don't, I, don't, I don't understand the move. But if we make the right next move, it could be interesting. And um, I was throwing about some, some interesting names um, over the weekend. Um, the guy who runs Hoffenheim also founded um, SAP. So obviously we can't hire him. And his approach is like, you know, he, he builds out a club like he builds out a, a software giant and he's taken Hoffenheim from nowhere um, to like competing for top four in Germany. You could go the, the Barcelona route and you could sign somebody that wants to make Arsenal a, a mega club. Um, or you could sign um, Dortmund's CEO who like took them from the, bl- the brink of collapse to European, nearly European glory in that exceptional run um, with Klopp. And like he's a, he's a CEO that understands fans and he puts, you know, puts fans at the core of everything he does. And you start getting excited and the, daily, <laughs> the, the evening standard ran a story and they said, Josh Kroenke's in the running. 38-year-old playboy spends his summers on yachts with LeBron James, which you can't help but admire. Somebody sent me a picture of his Instagram feed of his girlfriend. Like He's obviously living the the, the playboy life. Um, He's run two two American franchises um, in the NHL and the NBA. uh, Very averagely. And he looks like he could be a front-runner for the job. Like, what... (laughs) What do you see the pros and cons of someone like Josh, Josh Kroenke, the, the son of Stan? I think the pros are daddy's going to find it hard to tell, say no to his son if his son wants to spend some serious cash on looking a success. Uh, I don't think it's been out in the UK, but there's a great HBO series called Succession. And, uh, you know, very, very rich, privileged sons like to like to impress their fathers by showing just how good they are and to do that at arsenal would require a huge injection of cash and it certainly would be easier to get uh to open the pockets of stan if his son was asking for the money so that's the that's the big plus of someone like that two is um you know we've got a sponsorship deal locked in because Adidas is all but confirmed or confirmed or whatever for a few years. The ground sponsorship isn't changing for another few years, another five years, I don't think. We've still got tied into Emirates. I think it was a 20-year deal. So the big sponsorship deals are done. So what's the role of the CEO going to be? Well, if it's to make some serious moves, you know, bring in some exciting talent, which is what it feels more like at the moment, having already undergone the big structural change that Gazidis has 
implemented over the past 18 months, then maybe having a young guy with a lot to prove and a lot of the heavy lifting already done wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that argument as well. The One of the biggest challenges that Gazidis had is he clearly couldn't convince Stan Kroenke that Arsene Wenger was a shit show. And one of the things I was musing in the blog today was Stan fell asleep at the wheel and he trusted that Wenger was going to bring in Champions League football every year, but he wasn't paying attention to what was actually going on in the pitch. He didn't notice the marginal losses each season, lack of quality, um, like coming in, like players wanting to leave, other coaches catching up, continually getting beasted by younger managers in the league. So you, you, he's now got a very expensive problem on his hands. Like when you look at how much money we spent over the summer and the, the last like five years really, like third, high, third highest net spenders in the league, like taking Arsenal back to the top is an expensive job. And as you said at the start of the show, the Premier League is so unbelievably competitive that you really can't afford to fall asleep. And every year that we get it wrong is another 200 million that we've got to keep on spending and keep on churning into, um, like I think that somebody ran an analysis the other day that it's about 250 million for a Premier League title these days, like running the analysis over United, Chelsea, uh, and Manchester City. So you do you do wonder if like if nepotism is going to play a, a role here because it could be a really expensive mistake. Like if Arsenal turn into a mid-table club, fans stop turning up to the stadium, players stop becoming interested in going to the game. Like where's the money going to come to get them back to the top? Like surely the glory that Stan is feeling in the media and the, the LA media are all over him saying that he's the MVP. You wonder whether he's looking at Arsenal and going, "Well, I've got two superstar clubs in my portfolio. I've got the Rams and I've got Arsenal. If I can make Arsenal, like if I, if I can sprinkle some of that LA Rams dust on, on, on Arsenal, maybe we can take them back to the top and then he's got a better portfolio. But you just wonder whether he cares enough. Well, I think the big... So answer me this, right? Who is... Who's CEO of City? Uh, Chiki Bergestein. Who's CEO? Who's CEO of Chelsea? Um, it's uh, M- Maria. So the reason I say that is not to try and... I'm going, how important do we think the role of CEO is in a modern-day football club? Oh, true. And, like and, Guy, and, and, oh, Ron Gawley and, and Guy, Guy, Guy Lawrence. Yeah, that Guy Lawrence guy, what a genius. The point I'm making is... <laughs> uh, is it that important and is it really going to inform much of what we do? You know, if Josh Cronkey wants to make a decision at Arsenal, make a decision at Arsenal, whether you call him CEO or whether you Ferran call him... Soriano. Oh, that it's... guy, yeah. He's... Yeah, he's the ex-Barca guy, right? But I was close because Cheeky, Cheeky Bagiristan is... Um... But, you know, I don't, th- I don't... I'm just interested in, in understanding what the role of... CEO is on a day-to-day basis in a modern-day football club, and especially given our ownership structure, we're now wholly owned by uh, Stan Kroenke. I mean, he's the boss, isn't he? He's a CEO. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think he is. I don't think Stan is. I don't think he pays enough attention. I don't think he really paid attention to Arsenal over the years. I think he was too focused on taking the Rams out of St. Louis and moving them to LA. Like I, I think the, I think maybe maybe Josh becomes like a, a chairman, De facto. Yeah, or a chairman like guy, just like goes along for the negotiations and drinks all the champagne. But I do. I I think we need an experienced person i feel like arsenal arsenal don't have there's no it doesn't feel like there's a vision for arsenal and i know that gazidis came up with it wasn't really a vision was it like his vision has always been you know we want to be at the top we wanted to be like Bayern munich but never really enacted that like we never really delivered on that and like, like manchester city you, you know what the plan is and they're doing all of these things to get there Chelsea, like you kind of know what the plan is there. Like even Manchester United, we're just going to spend the most on players and we're going to entertain and we're going to be the biggest club in the world. Yeah, I, I don't know I what Arsenal is. Yeah, I don't know what a lot of those clubs are. I think I can see Manchester City's. Chelsea seems strange to me. I don't really know what that is at the moment because it used to be pure, naked, unadulterated ambition. 
and then it's got all weird because now they're like, it's 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 on one season on, one season off for Chelsea. Successful uh, though, whatever the, whatever that vision is, no, it's it successful. Is, it is, but it's it's bizarre. It's not let's go all in and try and win the Champions League anymore. Otherwise, they'd be spending a load more money. It's much more about a sustainable model. But they've been, they've been they've been trying to get to sustainable yeah, for years, yeah. right? Liverpool, I think, is one of the clubs that does have a vision, and I think one of. Maybe it's more like a brand vision, but they are, they've got that sort of global outlook with a local feel they talk about. And that makes some people gag and feel sick. But <laughs> it gave me an erection. <laughs> <laughs> but I sort of quite like it too. It's, uh, well, you're a brand guy, so. Yeah, I just, I just, what's Arsenal's role in the world, you know? Yeah, I I know. Like, what's that? What like? What's that? It's difficult enough working out what our role in London is. Like, yeah. we've we've gone for the like we've gone for this classy thing. Yeah. We're the classiest club in London, which means nothing. It makes you feel good, yeah. but it doesn't really mean anything. Like, remember, it was it was always the the comeback. It's like yeah, Manchester United. Oh, they just go out and buy players and win stuff. And like, yeah, well, they don't have the class that Arsenal have. And it was almost like class was almost uh, a way of disguising a lack of competitive uh, competitiveness. Yeah. So yeah, so the new the new CEO does have a job to do, but I, you know, admittedly, we need a classy guy. We need a yeah, we need a classy guy, um, or, or not? Maybe we need someone who's like ruthlessly aggressive. Maybe we need someone like Karen Brady. Get Karen in. Get Karen in. West Ham spent a hundred million this summer, didn't they? Is she still there? She's still at West Ham. I don't know. I always thought she was quite saucy. <laughs> read those read those little bits in the sun. <laughs> Okay, all right, well, we've crushed through um, that. I see people saying the word crush, all these Americanisms creeping into my language. It makes me feel sick. Like, ugh, I said, reach out, reach connect. Out. Ah, <laughs> cut my tongue off. Anyway, uh, it was great chatting with you, Matt. Um, if you get the opportunity and you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave a five-star review, say something nice. Not the people that say mean things. It's, it's, it's sad when your life is that I'm going to go on and say something mean in your reviews. Say something nice. Um, and make sure that you subscribe because we're going to be here every week um, over the next 13 or so games. And, uh, yeah, um, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much, Matt. Cheers, Pete. Bye. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.